You may be seated. Would you welcome Pastor Preston as he comes and shares our Passover message today? Man. Does anybody love how in Virginia Beach the weather goes from like really warm to hail? <laughs> My body absolutely loves it. <laughs> and I'm being very sarcastic. <laughs> anybody have migraines? And you know, like, when the weather's about to change because your brain tells you. Yeah, me too. So um, <laughs> we're just going to uh, we're gonna have a good time. Um, so happy to be here. Let's go ahead. Uh, let's go ahead and get, actually, if you're taking notes, you got your Bible, go ahead and get it ready. I've got, I've got a ton of scripture for today. Tons of scripture. Um, so get your notes. Get a pen that works. If you're at home, you might... If you're on your computer, you might be able to split the screen and get some, uh, get a note page on the right side or the left side, however you like to split it. Um, but go ahead and get ready. You know, this is a big word. Holy Spirit gave me a really big word for today. Um, and we're going to start in Matthew 21, 6 through 11. There's like this kind of funny thing about like all the Gospels. And some skeptics actually uh, try to disprove um, the gospel, using the gospels, because certain people say certain things and say different things about what happened with Jesus. Not specifically saying that he didn't die, but like they, they tell stories from different perspectives. But one of the really cool things is, is uh, you can find this triumphal entry in all the gospels. It's really important, a really important moment. But we're going to take it from Matthew 21. 6 through 11. It says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and, and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. We're going to focus on that, that word Hosanna today. Hosanna is a really important part of this scripture and part of of this story in the word Hosanna. There's a lot of words um, that we use in church that I don't think we all understand what they mean. And one of the one of the most um, un, misunderstood words is actually like "Amen." Like a lot of people say it, and don't people don't know what it means. Even my daughter, we say bedtime uh, prayers, and at the end, she knows "Amen" goes there. But she's three. She doesn't really know why Amen goes there. But I think, I think it's okay. She's three. She, does, she doesn't have to understand everything. She does understand a lot of things, but she doesn't understand everything, and that's her, her job isn't to understand everything yet. But I think there are people that have grown up in church that say things that they don't understand. And I think as we mature, especially mature as Christians, I think it's important for us to understand why we do things and say things that we say, such as amen. 
Amen, meaning so be it. Let it be done. In Jesus' name, if it's the will of Jesus for our lives, let it be done. That's why we can pray so many things and saying, in the name of Jesus, let it be done, turns anything that we might be asking for into a selfless request. God, these are the things that I really want for my life if you want it to be done. Use a a word hallelujah a lot, especially in song. We sing hallelujah, and we assume it just means praise God or praise the Lord, but there's so much more depth to the word. It literally means to like spin in a spinning motion, making a fool out of yourself for God, Yahweh, hallel, ah, Right? That's cool, right? There's different, it's depth. And then we get to this word, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest doesn't just mean praise, though. Hosanna literally translated means save us. Help us. This is a thing about Hosanna. In order to ask someone for help, you have to believe that they can help. You have to believe that he can help. And the reason that we're going to get into some depth here. Why is it? Why is Hosanna so important? Why is it so important to understand that Hosanna means save us? See, I think some of us, a big problem that a lot of us run into is we believe that Jesus was good. And if you look at the end of this story where it says people are wondering who this is, why are they asking him to save them? And people say he's a prophet. See, I think that's part of the problem, though. Is a lot of us believe that he's good. A lot of people believe that Jesus did some really good things. But they're not convinced that he's divine. And in order for Jesus to really save us from the things that we need him to save us from, we have to be completely convinced that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. That he was divine, that he was all man, but he was also all God. I've got five aspects that point to to Jesus being divine. First is his birth. He was born of a virgin. Luke 1, 26 through 35. And I love the book of Luke. One, because it's, one of the only, it's the only gospel that was written by somebody that wasn't um, an eyewitness account. He wasn't there. He was actually a, a doctor. So in a time when it was odd to know how to read, this guy was a genius. And then a guy who was a governing official, if you look at the first, basically the first sentence of the book of Luke, you find out why Luke wrote the book. This guy named Theophilus, who was a governing official of some sort, decided, hey, I might believe in Jesus, but if I do, I could lose my job or I could lose my life. And I'm going to find somebody that's really, really, really smart. I'm going to turn this doctor into historian. I'm going to ask him, I'm going to pay him to go do some investigative work and find out if Jesus really is who he said he was. And if you want to find out who, if somebody is really who they say they are, especially saying that they're perfect, the best way to find out 
if they're perfect, is to talk to their siblings. So Luke went and found Jesus' brothers. He went and found people that, that lived with him, that knew him, and said, hey, what happened? I want to know your story. How did you see it? That's why I love the book of Luke. I love when I'm studying the gospel and the, the story of Jesus. I love to go to the book of Luke because this guy in history was really smart. So we look at Luke 1, 26 through 35. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of, of Galilee named Nazareth. And I'm not going to read every line of every scripture because we've got a lot to go through. But basically, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. All right? You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the son of God. She says, let's go ahead and skip down. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. But I want to go to Isaiah 7.14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, being God with us. It's important to note that the book of Isaiah was written roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It was prophesied that Jesus would be born to a virgin. So some people like to say, oh, Mary saying that she was a virgin was just a cover-up because she wasn't supposed to get pregnant back in those days. She could have been stoned. No, you're biblically illiterate if that's what you think because you haven't done history. I love it when people who never read the Bible like to argue the Bible with people who have spent their entire lifetimes trying to disprove and they just can't. So we've got the birth of Jesus points to his divinity. The life of Jesus points to his divinity. He performed miracles. He walked on water, turned water into wine, fed 5,000 with a Lunchable. Luke 5, 17, 26. It's where Jesus heals the lame. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and cut or sorry, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus in his life, he performed miracles. He walked on water. He did all these incredible things, but also he forgave people of their sins. So we've got he, his birth, his life, skipping to his death. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the one who was without sin. 
He took all of our wrongdoings, all of our unrighteousness, all of our immoral acts. And that's one of the things that I think we have to like kind of agree we have to settle on. Is sin, I think sometimes sin nowadays becomes kind of a way to pretty up the fact that we are immoral. Sometimes I think it suffices better to say, God, I'm sorry for the immorality in my life than I'm repenting for my sin. Jesus took all of our immorality upon himself. He had done nothing wrong. And remember, this is from, you can go back to Luke. You can go back to Luke where, where Luke goes to Jesus' brothers and says, hey, was he really perfect? And they say, dang it, yeah, he was. In his death, he pointed to his divinity. In his resurrection, he rose from the dead after three days. And why is three days important? You can look at Luke 24, 1 through 8. That's Jesus dying on the cross. Why is the three days significant? For two reasons. One, resurrection after three days of death proved that Jesus actually died. If you look at Jewish tradition, really the three days meant that his spirit had separated from his body. But it proved that he had actually died, that he wasn't just hurt and happened to get up. He was dead. Second, it was important for Jesus to be dead for three days to fulfill prophecy. Matthew 12, 40. He, this is Jesus. Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said it was going to happen. It had to happen. His resurrection points to his divinity. His resurrection points to his divinity. He didn't just, this is an awesome thing too. He didn't just rise from the dead and come see a couple of friends. If we look at 1 Corinthians 5, or sorry, 15, 3 through 8. This is Paul speaking. He says, For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according, accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised uh, on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than what? Five hundred. 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Why is it important for him to say most of whom are still alive? Because basically what Paul is saying is, listen, if you don't want to take my word for it, cool. There's about 500 people that you can go visit and talk to them about, and they're going to tell you the exact same story. Don't believe, don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. It's fine. I won't get my, my feelings hurt. But don't act like Jesus didn't do it because you don't want to do the, your job, your due diligence to do the research to find out if he's actually who he said he is. Don't be lazy. Go talk to about 500 other people who were there. Not just me. Although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born. 
he appeared also to me. His proof, his resurrection is proof of his divinity. The last one is his ascension. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Mark 16, 19 through 20. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. After he had spoken to them, them being the disciples and those who had gathered together in Galilee, meaning 500 people. If we use Paul as a witness, which I believe we can due to his eyewitness statement, at least 500 people saw Jesus float up into the sky. And the fact that they were willing to be put on crosses, hung upside down, and killed for the things that they believed, that is evidence that it happened. There are certain things that you don't get to recover from when it comes to your faith. One is supernatural encounters. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced supernatural, but I have. There's this one time when I was in high school, I, I saw this guy at a service, and his knee was, had all this fluid in it. You could flick it and watch the fluid underneath the skin just jiggle. They prayed for him, and it sucked back into his knee, and his knee was healed. You don't get to come back from that. You can say that your feelings are hurt and you have questions about faith and the Bible and whatever, but I can't explain the guy's fluid in his knee sucking back into his body with anything other than God is real. We prayed in the name of what? Jesus. And it happened. So I can't, I can't give you anything other than that. Got to pray with a lady once. Her eyes were sore. Her eyes hurt and she could barely see. When she walked away from us, she was healed. I can't give anything other than my experience that when you pray in the name of Jesus, things can happen. People don't come back from those kinds of experiences. So why did I go into such length to dig up so much scripture to prove the divinity of Jesus when we're supposed to be talking about palm branches? Because if you don't know in your head and believe in your heart that Jesus is all man and all God, waving branches and saying Hosanna is a bunch of theatrics and a waste of our time. The truth is... Hosanna doesn't simply mean praise God. It means God, save us. God, help us. But we can't ask Jesus to save us if we don't believe he can. Understand this truth. Jesus is the only founder of any major world religion who declared himself to be God. The only one, not Muhammad, not Gandhi, not Buddha, not anybody else. Only Jesus. All other religions and prophets of those religions say that Jesus was a prophet and that he was a good guy. But good isn't good enough when we understand Jesus is God. The people in the street had plenty of reasons to appeal to Jesus. To save them. 
They had political and economic crisis. The Jews and the Samaritans couldn't get along. They had racial issues. People had to quarantine because of a contagious infection, leprosy. But it doesn't sound too far off from what we're dealing with today in 2021. Political unrest, economic crisis, racial divides, mask mandates and quarantines. This is the thing. Jesus, Jesus came to save us. One of the first scriptures kids ever learn is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. But then there's, sometimes I feel like there's, it's almost an unfinished sentence. Going to 17, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. He came to save us. See, a lot of us put our hopes in people who don't deserve our trust. We hope our love interest is going to fix our broken hearts. We hope the new president's going to fix our broken bank accounts. We hope the new baby is going to fix our new, our broken purpose. But t- time And time again, we find ourselves disappointed because the truth is even a really good person is a terrible savior. Even a really good leader is an awful God. Only Jesus is Jesus. Jesus had to come because he was the only one that could save us. So my question today that I want to answer is, what did he come to save us all from? First, I think he came to save us from our fears. Save us from our fears. There's a story in the Bible where the disciples are afraid. Disciples were all out on a boat. It's Matthew 8, 23 through 27. And when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Thank God for sleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I want to highlight one part. It says, at 26, Why are you so afraid? He asks, then answers his own question in one statement. Why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. The reason why they're so afraid is because they don't have big faith. It's really easy to find some things that we're afraid of. Turn on the news. Scroll through Facebook. Turn on Twitter. You're going to find some things to be afraid of. What we have to ask ourselves is, why are we so afraid? 
You know why more people don't succeed? Because they don't have faith. You know why people aren't set free from sin? Because they don't have faith. You know why families break up? Why marriages fail? Because of a lack of faith. You know why people get stuck in addiction? Because of lack of faith. See, there's a difference between being afraid and fear. Look at 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give us a what spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. This is the thing about spirits. Spirits are things that interact with us. The difference between fear and being afraid, you can be afraid of something and it can save your life. Being afraid of a lion is a, is a healthy thing to do. It keeps you from jumping down into the pit of lions at the zoo. It keeps you, keeps you from disconnecting your head from your body. Right? Being afraid of lions is fine. But allowing a spirit of fear to control your life isn't healthy and it's not of God. In order for us to see people set free, families made whole, and people come out of poverty and walk in blessing, people have to contend with fear. People have to fight with fear. You have to go toe-to-toe with fear. And how can we contend with fear? I believe a couple of things that you have to do. One is you have to have more faith in God. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. This is the definition of what faith is. So if you want to contend with the fear that's trying to control your life, or that is controlling your life, what you have to do is you have to increase how much you are assured of the things that you're hoping for. You have to increase how much conviction you have regarding the things that you can't see. Hebrews 11.6, And without fear it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What does this say? Without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible. It means we can't sing enough songs. You can't give enough on a Sunday. It means you can't volunteer enough. It means you can't even pray enough to please God if we don't have faith. If we want Jesus to save us, we have to trust that he always has our best on his mind, especially when it doesn't look like it. Look at Joseph. Joseph had faith when his brothers threw him into slavery. David had faith when he stood in front of a giant. Noah had faith when God told him to build an ark in the middle of a drought and everybody made fun of him. Moses had faith when he told the most powerful man on the planet to let his people go. We say, God, use me, but tuck, tail, and run. When we don't get the promotion we thought we deserved we want Jesus to save us, we have to grow our faith. Second thing we have to do is we have to put that faith into action. What good would it do 
For Joshua to believe that God would cause the walls to fall down if he marched around Jericho, but didn't ever march around Jericho. What good would it do, David, if he believed that God would deliver Goliath to him, but he never went and got the stones in his sling? Having faith and doing nothing is worthless. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but not works? Can that faith save him? Man, this is really powerful. That's a rhetorical question. I love these rhetorical questions today. Can faith without works save you? Absolutely not. No, it can't. If we really want Jesus to save us from our fears, we have to be willing to step out on the faith that we say we have. I think one of the coolest stories in the Bible is Matthew 14, 25 through 29. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking out on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. This is the story summarized. They cried in fear. Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus said, come, and then he got out of the boat. I see that we have a very similar cycle in our lives. Things don't go our way, or we're confused, or we're afraid, so we say, God, I'm afraid. God, I need your help. God, I just need you to be with me. God, tell me what to do, where to go. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm right here. It's just me. We say, God, if it's really your will, tell me to come out of the boat. He's like, all right, come on out of the boat. But I said, if it's really your will, I just want you to tell me to come out of the boat. Okay, I said, come on out of the boat. But if it's your will, God, just come out of the boat. Just tell me to come out. I said, come on. No, like for real, get out of the boat. I guess I'm just not supposed to get out of the boat. You want to know the, the most common way Christians procrastinate? Is by saying, let me pray about that. Let me pray about that. God puts something on your heart. It's something really simple. Hey, go find some people and feed them. They're going to be hungry. Go find some hungry people and feed them. I'm just going to go pray. I need to, need to strategize. Hey, brother, I'd like to, uh, I just, I need you to pray for me. I feel like God's putting something on my heart. Well, you put it on your heart, not mine. Go do it. That's your calling, not mine. I just need some advice. 
this ministry that God, I feel God's calling me to do. Okay, that's cool. Now go do it. See, some of us, we get afraid and we ask God, God, save us. And he's like, all right, cool, you're saved. But I'm not saved. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You know what's really cool? There's two people known to have walked on water. It's Jesus and Peter. You know why none of the other disciples walked on water? Because they weren't willing to get out of the boat. Because they were afraid. They allowed fear to control their actions. How cool would have it been if like all 12 guys got out of the boat? They're just like having like this walk on water party. Like everybody's out of the water. Everybody's out. That would have been so cool, but it was a missed opportunity. He wants to save us from our fear. He wants to save us too. He wants to save us from our brokenness. You know why people get broken? People get broken either because of what happened to them or what happened because of them. Actions have consequences, and sometimes the actions of somebody else cause consequences to fall onto you. Three things we need to recognize when it comes to Jesus and the broken. One, he was broken for us. 1 Corinthians 11.24, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. For you. It's like Christmas. Family gets around the tree and somebody goes and picks up a present and they read the tag and they say, Oh, which president, whose president is that? That president, oh, this president is for you. Jesus says, My body was broken for you. I did it for you, not for me, for you. He's close to the broken. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you feel broken, you're not alone. Your brokenness will literally draw the Father close to you. Your brokenness has purpose. What purpose could my brokenness have? One, it builds character and hope. Romans 5, 2, two through 5. Through him we have also obtained access by what? Faith into this grace which, in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God love, God's love has been poured on our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your brokenness has purpose to build who you are. It also deepens our relationship with the Father. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heaven, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're broken and you want rest, you have to invest time in pursuing Jesus. I'm going to say something that might offend some people. This is the truth about brokenness. If you're broken, but you're not actively trying to be not broken, you're not that broken. 
And in reality, it's likely you're addicted to your own brokenness. Some people get broken and they allow that brokenness to become how they identify. I identify as broken. And it gets really, really hard to say, you know what? You're not that way. You're actually broken. And if you would give me your brokenness, God would make you who he intended you to be. People start identifying as broken. The closer we get to the Father, the more whole we become. But if we're broken, we just have to make that decision to say, you know what, I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of all the pain. I'm tired of the bitterness. Brokenness pushes us into personal ministry. Looking for purpose? Your brokenness can push you into your personal ministry. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for me. I want you to know your brokenness, I don't want to sound like I'm invalidating it, but your brokenness is not the thing that that makes you special. There are lots of people that are sitting in the same brand of brokenness that you've walked through or or are walking through and desperately need somebody to say, you know what? I used to look like that too, but God. Everybody has a testimony. And testimonies don't have to be that complicated. You know what a testimony is? A testimony is simply what you are evidence of. You are evidence of. I am, what are you evidence of? I'm evidence that God can take somebody who is addicted. I can, God can take somebody who is addicted to, to pornography. God can take an alcoholic. God can take someone who is just anger, angry. God can take a rageaholic. God can take a liar. God can take... God can take it all and turn it around for his glory and make that person whole. God came to save us from our brokenness. And lastly, God came to save us from our sin. Jesus Jesus came to save us from our sin. There's no specific sinner's prayer in the Bible that I can find. Nothing that says, if you say this prayer, it's the recipe to get you into heaven. However, I'm not one that's going to preach against sinners' prayers. Because I think it's a great place to jump off of. It's like a, a diving board at a pool. It's a great place. You don't need the diving board at the pool, but it's a lot of fun. So I've got what I've taught for years, from kids' ministry, youth ministry, to adults, got the ABCs of salvation. If you would like Jesus to save you, not just forgive you of your sin, but save you from your sin. And there's a difference, right? Some people, some people just want to be forgiven of what they've done, but they don't actually want to be saved from what they're doing. 
In Romans it says the wages of sin is death. We need to be saved from death. Not just forgiven for doing something wrong. ABCs of salvation. The first thing we have to do is we have to admit. Admit. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. There's that word again. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all immoral beings. And we need God's grace. You can't be saved from your sin if you don't admit that you're sinful. You can't be saved from your immorality if you can't admit that you are immoral. Believe. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued. But this belief has to be a real belief. It's not like we believe in Jesus the way we believe in the Easter bunny. Belief has to move you, otherwise it's not belief. When was the last time your belief in Jesus caused you to do something you wouldn't normally, naturally do? Admit, believe, and the C for being saved from sin is commit. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We can flip this scripture around. If you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me. Doesn't sound nearly as nice to say it that way, but sometimes I think we, we, have, to, we have to say it a little more strict. If you don't keep my commandments, then you don't love me. We've got to be committed to righteousness. We've got to be committed Sure, we're going to mess up. Yeah, we're going to say things that we didn't mean. But we cannot live in a lifestyle that is full of sin and expect that we are saved from our sin, from our immorality. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to get ready to close. Jesus came to save us. He came to rescue us. Anybody thankful that Jesus came to save us? Anyone in the place been rescued from fear anybody just fear i hate fear i hate it i hate it so much i appreciate being afraid but i hate fear fear is the thing that keeps so many people from doing exactly what they ought to be doing in their lives People have so much potential. You know what? Potential is kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a compliment, but it's also kind of an insult. 
If you have potential, it's because you haven't done anything. I get like middle school wrestlers that come in. I can tell they're really great athletes. I've been a wrestling coach. I would have done my like 12th season this year. But I get a kid that comes in. He's a really great athlete. You can tell that he really wants to win. And I look at him, man, you've got so much potential. It makes him feel good. But really what I just told him was, you've never accomplished anything. I think you could, but you haven't. Fear is the thing that keeps people from accomplishing things. It gets you stuck in potential. Nobody has ever been given a reward because they had potential. There's no medals, no trophies, because you had potential. I hate fear. Hate it. I started to tell this story earlier. I was in Lima, Peru. We were at a we were at a church service. It was an outdoor service. And um, I was standing in the back with a buddy. And we were talking about the service. And this old lady walked up. She had a cane. And she was, um, she just kind of like stumbled, uh, stumbled over to us. And she started speaking to us. She spoke Quechuan, which I didn't understand at all. So we got a translator to come by. My buddy's mom was Quechuan. And she, so he could understand and translate. And basically, long story is, Her eyes hurt, and she could barely see. And she wanted me and Chris, my buddy who was standing there with me, she wanted us to pray for her. And we were like, okay, that's cool. And Chris is like, whole story, Chris was like, all right, we're going to need God to perform a miracle. We're asking for a miracle. She's too old for us to pray for healing, and this lasts a long time. So we need him to to heal her tonight. I was like, that's kind of messed up, but okay. So we start praying, God, pray for a miracle. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He was like, hey, I want you to bend down, pick up some dirt, spit on it, and put it in her eyes. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not. I just want you to heal her. It's a true story. Nope, not going to do that. So he kept kept speaking to my spirit. I just kept talking back. No. We are in Lima, Peru. I don't know what is in this dirt. I don't know. Her eye, did you hear her, her eyes already hurt? You don't want me to put dirt in her eyes. No. And he just kept telling me, put, bend down, pick up some dirt, spit and it put her in her eyes. So I kept saying no. Eventually, Chris, who is a rather large man, he bent down. I, I felt him <laughs> when he bent down. He just got down on one knee, and he's scooping up dirt, gets a handful of dirt, spits in it, puts it on her eyes, and she was healed. She walked away without pain and able to see Which is an awesome story. But can you imagine if... If I was able to be the guy. I was this close. 
to being the guy that spit on the dirt, that put in the, in the lady's eyes, and she walked away being healed. I messed up. But that, that story is why I, to a fault, sometimes just dive in with both feet. When I, when I hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want you to do this, I sign up for a mixed martial arts fight. I've never fought before. <laughs> but I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to do it, so I did it. I called John. I'm like, hey, John, we got some work to do. I, hold, I hear the Holy Spirit. I just don't have time for fear anymore. And I feel like, I feel like bigger than COVID, fear is what is infecting our community. I got one of my best, one of my best friends, is, his whole family is sick with COVID right now. He's probably watching right now. Pat, we're praying for you, brother. But bigger than COVID, fear is what has infected the world. I hate it. Jesus, we need, you to, we need you to save us from fear. Jesus, we need you to save us from our brokenness. You know, the one thing that the whole human race has in common is pain. Everybody deals with pain. Everyone feels it, whether it's physical or emotional, everyone deals with pain. We are all broken. We need Jesus to save us from our brokenness. We're going to open time for prayer. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for sending Jesus. God in flesh. 100% man, 100% God who came to save the world. If you've been struggling with fear, if you're at home and you want somebody to pray with you, Put fear, type fear in the comments or just put a hand in the comments. Say, that's me. We're praying with you. We're praying for you. If you're struggling with fear, I'm going to tell you a real practical way to deal with fear. Real practical. You don't have to look this up in the Bible. This is real practical. Count five, four, three, two, one. Then do whatever it is that God wants you to do. Don't think about it. Don't strategize. Don't think about all the, all the way things are going to fail. Five, four, three, two, one, go. That's it. Make up your mind. I'm going to go on one. If you're dealing with fear, you are set free in the name of Jesus. If you're broken, he's here to free you. To save you from your brokenness. You are not broken. You're made whole. Doesn't mean you're not going to have to walk a path of healing. Doesn't mean you're not going to have to. Doesn't mean you're not going to have to have some surgery. Some spiritual surgery to get some stuff out. But in Jesus name you are set free. You're saved. You're not broken. You're whole. You're healed. You're living a life of sin. You are saved. Jesus came. He who was out without sin became sin. He who was completely righteous, he was perfect. He was moral. He was morality. Became immorality. 
took all of our mess, all of our wrongdoings, all of our mistakes upon himself and became the sacrifice for every single one of us. And all we have to do is believe and let that belief change us. If you'd like prayer this afternoon, we've got a team that's going to come and pray with you, listen to you, talk with you. We're going to pray with you and agree with you that you are set free. You are no longer in bondage. You are no longer afraid. You're no longer being, uh, your life is no longer being dictated by fear. You're not broken anymore. You are, you are whole. Walk in wholeness. Walk in forgiveness. If you'd like prayer, let's go ahead and move now. Come on down to the front. Come on down. Let's get, let's pray. Let's bring your palm branches. We're going to say Hosanna. We're going to say Jesus, save us. Save me from my fear. Save me from my brokenness. Save me from my sin. We're here to pray with you, talk with you, love you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Go ahead. If you're at home and you'd like some prayer, just write prayer in the comments right now. Write prayer in the comments. We'll have somebody reach out to you. We're going to go ahead and dismiss for today. Before you go, this is, the, this is my final prayer for you, is that as you go, you would be a blessing. That you, the, the face of the Father would shine on you, and whoever meets you would know him because they know you. God, I pray that you would bless your kids. Increase them. Guide them and keep them safe in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be here. We've got Wednesday night service. Next week is Sunday. As Next week is Easter Sunday. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of our service for Palm Sunday. Be blessed.